everybody. How are you guys doing today? Great, great, great to be with you and see you guys here this morning. And uh, for those that might be watching uh, live stream, we want to welcome them in here this morning and those that are outside as well. Glad to have you this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open up to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And this morning, we're continuing, it's really a continuation of chapter 6. We're looking at uh, Stephen. Uh, last chapter, he was uh, chosen as one of the seven men that were to help the disciples in taking care of the, uh, the, the, the Hellenists or the Greek-speaking women of the church <clears throat> in the daily distribution of food. And Peter was one of the seven, and it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. And then he's later on <clears throat> charged with blaspheming God and Moses and the law. And so here in chapter 7 now he is where he stands trial and is ultimately stoned, murdered. Chapter 7 I entitled, A Faithful Witness, and that would be Stephen. And if we're going to reach people effectively with the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to be able to defend ourselves. We have to be able, I should say, to defend our faith. When Paul told Titus, he said, what Paul told Titus was, ordain men who are able to hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Titus 1.9. Now, Paul didn't ask Timothy to, to ordain men who could, who could do this in order to silence the rebellious or to silence the empty-talking deceivers. But he asked Paul to pick out men who were taught, who were faithful, uh, who, had, who knew doctrine, who were able to convict and, and contradict. He said pick out men like this so that they could also teach the people so well that they could do the same thing. Paul instructed all believers to always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And it's sad that a lot of Christians can't do that because they either know little of the word of God or have no understanding of why they believe what they believe. They lack, they lack a solid foundation for their faith. And Paul said they're like children, easily tossed and blown around by every wind of new teaching. You know, they, they hear something new and it sounds, you know, it sounds interesting or it sounds like something they want to hear more. And yet it's not biblical. And so because they don't have a grounding in the word of God, they follow this, they follow that, they go here, they go there. Because of doubts and because of lack of knowledge of the faith, they can't witness effectively for Jesus. But Stephen was a great defender of the faith, even before Paul came on the scene. Because his opponents couldn't successfully debate Stephen. They had to falsely accuse him of blasphemy. So then they arrested him. They hauled him off to the Sanhedrin, which were the religious leaders, and they took him there for a trial. And, and his, Stephen's defense was based totally and solidly on the Old Testament scriptures, which he quoted often word for word. So most of chapter 7 is Peter, I'm sorry, is Stephen witnessing from the Old Testament. He knew the truth. 
that he believed in. And he knew why he believed it. He skillfully defended his faith and he showed his commitment to his faith with fearless courage. His passion was so powerful for his faith that his accusers, when they were listening to him this whole time, 60 verses in this chapter, they sat and listened to him the whole time, basically hypnotized until he finished. And then they went off beside themselves. They, they, in rage, they murdered him. They stoned him to death. And chapter 7 starts with Stephen's trial. And the main part of the chapter deals with Stephen defending himself against the false charges that were made against him. He was accused of blasphemy, of blaspheming God, Moses, the law, and the temple. And there wasn't a more serious charge in Jewish society at that time. So Stephen defends himself here against those false charges. And his purpose was not to give a history lesson, but to establish the fact that He's not guilty of blaspheming God, Moses, the law, or the temple. But his accusers were because they rejected the Messiah. So let's begin now in chapter 7 with verses 1 through 16. As he starts to begin the first part of his defense. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. But he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all of his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died. He and our fathers... And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. So the priest begins, the the high priest in verse 1 begins by confronting Stephen and saying, are these things so? In other words, Stephen, these accusations that are being brought against you, are they true? And that's when Stephen now, for the rest of the chapter, goes into 
defending himself based on the Old Testament. Stephen wouldn't answer their question, yes or no, whether these things were true or not, because the charges were false. So he wasn't going to try to defend himself against those charges. Instead, he gives this great message, this great sermon about Israel's history, reminding them how they had continually sinned against God in spite of the great privileges that they were given. First, he says, you know, Abraham, Abraham's call from God, it involved some divine predictions about his descendants. And this speaks of the nation of Israel dwelling in Egypt. Secondly, the bondage for his descendants, also mentioned in verse 6. Egypt would put Israel under a terrible and evil bondage. Third, Stephen goes, tells about the length of this bondage. He says in verse 6, it was 400 years. But this was the length of time, and this was the length of time spent in Egypt. Now, it was, this number was rounded off to 400 years because it was actually 430 years based on Exodus chapter 12, verse 41. The fourth thing that Stephen said... He spoke of the oppression of his descendants. Verse 6, he, said, he says, oppress them. Then in the fifth thing that he mentions was the deliverance of his descendants. In verse 7, he says, they shall come out. Israel, under Moses' leadership, was delivered from Egypt. Moses brought them out of Egypt. Sixth thing, the service of his descendants. In verse 7, Stephen says, after that, in other words, after they came out of Israel, out of Egypt, he says, they would serve me in this place. Service is to always follow salvation. We saw that with Paul, or with Saul, all right? After Saul got saved, what did he do? He served God. Seventh thing that Stephen said to the Sanhedrin, it was the, the, the sign for his de- descendants. It says in verse 8, he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So the second point of defense in Stephen's sermon was about Joseph as he begins now in verses 9 through 16. First, it was defense of of Abraham. Now he's going to talk about Joseph. Stephen was now starting here to lay the foundation for the harsh judgment that he was going to deliver to these guys in verses 51 through 53. The 12 patriarchs were among the most respected men in Israel's history. But they became jealous of Joseph. And they sold Joseph into, into, into slavery, into Egypt. And by doing this, Joseph's brothers rejected the God who had sent them, uh, set them apart for special blessing. They were a perfect example of the nation's spiritual blindness that was demonstrated in what they did to Jesus. And even though his brothers rejected him, even though Joseph's brothers rejected him, God was with Joseph. And we read, we read three times in that story with Joseph that God was with Joseph. Even in the worst of times, we read that God was with Joseph and that God rescued him from all of his troubles, not some of his troubles, all of his troubles. And God gave him favor and God gave him wisdom with the Pharaoh and God made Joseph governor over all of Egypt. uh, uh, The only one more powerful than, than Joseph was the Pharaoh himself. And God gave Joseph favor and power over all of the Pharaoh's household. Stephen makes it perfectly clear that the 12 patriarchs were guilty of opposing God and God's purpose. They sold Joseph, but God rescued him. So the nation's rebellion against God started with the 12 patriarchs. Again, the Hellenists, 
the Greek-speaking widows were doing the same, very same thing that the founding fathers of the nation were guilty of doing and what they were falsely accusing Stephen of doing. And even though he waits until he finishes his sermon to come out and to say that Jesus is the Messiah in verse 52, even in his short history here, his short history review, Stephen gives little pictures, little glimpses of Christ though he has nothing but the Old Testament to go by. And again, in the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, you'll see many, many glimpses of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Joseph's life, in many ways, is like Christ. Both of them, Joseph and Jesus, were from the nation of Israel. Jesus and Joseph were delivered out of envy, verse 9 says. Jesus was condemned to die by the testimony of false witnesses and Joseph was imprisoned because of the false charges of Potiphar's wife. And just like God freed Jesus from the prison of death and exalted him, he also freed Joseph from prison and exalted Joseph to a high office in Egypt. And as Joseph was able to deliver his sinful brothers from physical death, so Jesus delivers his brothers from spiritual death. And after Joseph's rejection by his brothers, Stephen reminds them that a famine came over all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction came with it and their fathers couldn't find food. And similarly, Egypt's rejection of Jesus threw them into a spiritual famine, a a famine that would last until that day when all Israel will be saved. So because now of how serious the famine was, when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent uh, the fathers there for the first time. But it was their second visit where Joseph made himself known to his brothers and then Joseph's family was introduced to the Pharaoh. And it's only just before his second coming that Jesus will recognize, I'm sorry, that, that Israel will recognize Jesus for who he is. So after Jacob went down to Egypt, he died there along with his fathers. And after they died, they were taken to Shechem, laid in the tomb of Abraham that Abraham purchased from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. So what Stephen is doing here in these first 16 verses, he's defending himself against the charges of blasphemy. And he confirms the great covenant work that God did through Abraham and the patriarchs, that is Jacob and his 12 sons. Now, verses 17 through 37, as Stephen continues his his defense here. Now he speaks of, of Moses, verses 17 through 37. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt until another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them, uh, uh, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in the father's house for three months, in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. 
And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting. And he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected, saying who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one that God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Moses was, a highly, was highly respected by all of the Israelites. Moses was born at a bad time, you could say, in a bad situation. The Israelites were multiplying. God was blessing the, Israelite, the Israeli people. And then evil was directed against them. When God's purpose is progressing, Satan will be sure to attack. In other words, God's people were multiplying. God was blessing them. And this new Pharaoh, he, got, he, he was frightened because he goes, man, God is, is building up the nation of Israel. And, and, you know, one day they might decide to attack us and, and take over. And, and so what he did, he sent out a decree to kill all the male Hebrew children. Because he didn't know Joseph, all right? Like the Lazarus, he felt, I, I, don't know these, I don't owe these people anything. I don't owe Joseph anything. And the thing is, when rulers who don't know Jesus, when they don't know Jesus, they won't rule well. And Stephen says, this man, speaking of, that, of the Pharaoh, this evil Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph, he says, he dealt treacherously with our people. And he imposed slavery on the Israelites, and then he ordered that all, like I said, baby boys be killed. And here's the interesting thing. It, you know, it was a bad time, you could say, an evil time. You know, the, the, the baby boys, the, all those baby boys that were born were ordered to be killed. So you could consider it a bad time. But here's the neat thing about that. God loves to do his work when things are at their worst. Because it shows the greatness and the glory of God's power. No matter how big your problem is, no matter how difficult, no matter how unimaginable, God can solve it. The rescue of Moses from the Nile, it resulted in his life being spared. He, he was growing to a point, because the, the, the midwives spared Moses when he was born. They didn't kill him. 
Well, all the Hebrew the, the, the Israelites didn't kill him. They spared them. They spared Moses. But Moses got to a point where they couldn't hide him anymore. And so uh, Moses' mom puts him in a little basket and, and lets him go in the Nile River. And it just happens to be, and I say that facetiously, it just happens that, uh, that Moses' daughter is out there in the river. She sees the basket. She picks up Moses in the basket. She takes Moses to his own mother, which she doesn't know. His mother nurses him, takes care of him, which shows you that, that how easily God can control things. No matter how evil it may seem to be. Evil may seem to be winning. But God controls everything, every situation. Pharaoh and even Pharaoh, at verse 22, it says, provided expert schooling for Moses. And God must have laughed as he got the enemy to provide for the schooling of his servant. It's like the story of the old poor Christian woman who was occasionally harassed by a bunch of young boys. And one day as these young boys went to the elderly woman's house to pull a prank on her, They happened to hear her praying and asking God to send her some food. So they thought it would be a a, a funny thing to do to get some food and drop it down the chimney. So after they got the food and they dropped it down the chimney, they heard the woman thanking God for the food. So they knocked on the door and they said, laughing, God didn't send you that food. We heard you praying and we dropped it down the chimney. She said, I thank God anyway, even if he used Satan to answer my prayer. Exactly. God is in control of every situation. Verse 23 says, When Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And even though Moses was was raised as an Egyptian, he knew where he belonged. He knew his identity, his true identity, and he showed a lot of sympathy for his own people, the Jews. And then God spoke to Moses from the burning bush and called him into service. And he tells the Sanhedrin, verse 35, this is the Moses that they refused, that the people that he was sent to refuse. God sent him to be a ruler and a deliverer. And Stephen emphasizes to them a second time how the people rejected Moses' attempt to deliver them the first time. But the second time, they won't reject him, and they will submit to him, and, they will, and he'll deliver them. And verse 36 said, he brought them, Moses brought them out of Egypt, showing them signs and wonders. Again, the plagues that he performed in the land of Egypt, and in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness. All of these mighty things that God did confirm, through Moses confirm that Moses was called of God. And it was a result of, and that God gave Moses the ability to do the task. And verse 37, that, that, that's the Moses. This is the Moses that the Lord your God will raise up for you, a prophet like me from your brethren, him you shall hear. In other words, Stephen is saying, you know, Moses said that God is going to raise up a prophet like me out of your people, out of your brethren, him you shall hear. And he was speaking of Jesus Christ. Moses, one day, out of your own people, 
a prophet is going to be raised up like me, and you shall hear him. This prophecy is recorded in Deuteronomy 18, and it speaks of the coming of Jesus Christ. So here's Stephen using Old Testament scripture to point to Jesus Christ. He's given a quick review of Israel's history. And he's shown the habit of, of Israel uh, to accept their deliverer the second time. We, it seems like we always have to wait till the second, third, or fourth time before we accept Christ or believe in, in, in his word. He says again, so it, it took the second time, not the first time, to believe that Moses was their great deliverer. And that's what's going to happen with Jesus Christ. They're going to accept him when he comes to earth the second time. He came here the first time. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came the first time. And he's been rejected by most people. But when he comes the second time, it's going to be a whole different story. Verses 38 through 53, now Stephen speaks of the law and the temple. So let's begin with verse 38 down to 53. Verse 38, it says, This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give us, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You also took up the tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Remphan. Images which you made to worship and will carry, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. So notice in verse 40, uh, 42 there, he's talking about, you know, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness? Which they did. They did all of, you know, they offered the sacrifices um, and, and the animals during that time. But he says, you know, you also took up the tabernacle of Molech. Even though you... you, you offered the sacrifices that were required and you went through all of the, the rituals, you still, you still worship the false gods. You worshiped Molech and, and, and you're going to be carried away uh, beyond Babylon. Verse 44, he says, Our fathers had the tabernacle, he says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of, of witness in the wilderness as he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought Uh, brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for, for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, God says? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all of these things? Guys, what are you going to build me? I need a house. You know, I, I own everything. My hand has made all of these things. Verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just ones, speaking of Christ, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. 
who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. So here he lays the charge on them. Stephen comes now to the next part of his message here in verses 38 through 53, which is the condemnation of the people for their rebellion. Stephen starts first by reminding them about the rebellion in the past. First, he says, you rejected the word of God. Verse 38 through 39, notice, you received the living oracles to give to us whom our fathers would not obey. They rejected, the first thing they did in their rebellion is rejecting the word of God. You see, when you reject the Lord, or I should say rejecting the Lord starts with rejecting his word. Because it's his word. So if you reject his word, you're going to reject him. The second thing that they did that brought on the rebellion, it says they rejected the worship of God in verses 40 through 43. Saying to Aaron, notice Aaron said to Aaron, or, or the people said to Aaron, hey, make us gods to go before us. Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. So God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. He let them do that. The star of your God, Remphan. And he says, I will carry you away to Babylon. Rejecting the worship of God resulted in punishment from God. And that resulted in more idolatry. And that resulted in their captivity in Babylon. The third thing they did in their rebellion, they rejected the witness of God. Verse 44 through 47, it says that you had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. Solomon built God a house. But they rejected that. Because when you look at, and you go and you study Leviticus and the building of the temple, a lot of people think it's so hard to read and it's just, they just bypass it. It's a beautiful, beautiful book because Leviticus, everything that was used to build the tabernacle was a picture of Jesus Christ. The colors, red representing his blood, blue representing heaven, white representing purity, gold representing uh, um, uh, deity, silver representing redemption. The materials, the, 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 the ceremonies that took place, everything in it was pointing to Jesus Christ. That was the witness they had. The tabernacle and Solomon's temples were witnesses by the way the temple was made, by the ceremonies that took place in the temple, they all pointed to the truth of God. But the people rejected them. And the people made them just meaningless rituals. And it happens every week. People go to church. They don't realize they are the church. They go into a building, they do their thing, and they leave the same way they came in. It's just a ritual. It's a meaningless ritual to them. Communion, we partake of it today. It becomes a meaningless ritual many times. We do it once a month. We do it, we've done it often. We do it, you know, and, and, and it just, it becomes a ritual. We don't do it for what, it, what, what the meaning is behind it. The, everything that, that's behind communion. And, and that's what, what the people were doing in, 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 and Stephen is talking about here. The Israelites that Stephen was talking to at this time were not any better than their fathers before them because they did the same thing, which was especially seen in their rejection of Jesus Christ. He said in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, stubborn, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Stephen, you know what's, what's needed about the Bible? It doesn't use 
Uh, it, it doesn't try to be politically correct. It speaks the truth, but it does it in love. Stephen doesn't mince words. He calls the rebellious people by their rightful names. You stiff-necked people. They were stubborn, stubbornly sinful, and, and they were polluted in their heart and hearing. Secondly, in verse 51, he says, speaking of them again, he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit. There are those who say, oh, you can't resist the Holy Spirit. Well, the Bible says you can. I choose to believe what the Bible says. The people were persistent in their rebellion. You know, it's bad enough to sin, but to persistently sin, to persistently be sinful, that makes it even worse. And you know what? It, it, and it happens all the time. People resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Third, it says in verse 51 and 53, as your fathers did, so did you. You did the same thing that your fathers did. They received the law by the disposition of angels, but they haven't kept it. They got the word of God. They received the word of God, but they didn't obey it. And the word fathers here refers to the Israelites of earlier generations. But it's also true that the evil fathers produce evil children. Because if they, if they live you know, a godless life in front of their children and they don't teach them things about God, the children are going to grow up the same way. The earlier fathers rejected the word of God. So it's not surprising that their descendants rejected the word of God as well. The fourth thing that Stephen mentions here about the rebellion in verse 52, he says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? In other words, your fathers persecuted all the prophets, all that came to speak to you about Christ. And they killed those who foretold of the coming of the just one. Now, even though it doesn't say that the Israelites that Stephen was talking to persecuted the preachers of Christ, it's implied that the present Israelites that he was talking to were like their fathers in that they rebelled too. And those who rebel against God persecute and mistreat the true ministers of God. And that explains why some Christians are so mistreated and ridiculed today. The fifth thing Stephen said to them in verse 52, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. You now, your fathers are gone, you're just like them. So you now have become betrayers and murderers. Stephen charges those, he accuses those that were listening to him, he accuses them of rejecting Jesus Christ. Again, now this is the climax of the message. Even though Stephen gave a great sermon, he didn't receive any honor whatsoever from the religious leaders. Instead, he was murdered, he was stoned to death. You know, you can know the scriptures well and you can give the best witness and testimony. You know, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody. And, and you know what? Sometimes even then, you're, you're treated with the same, same kind of scorn and ridicule. Eternity will forever fix that. It will correct a lot of evil judgment by this world. Verse 54. When they heard these things, they being the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. The stoning occurred. Why? Because the people became so upset in their hearts. Why? What upset them so much? God's word. God's word. 
When church members get upset with God's word, it's often because of the message that's being preached. It says that it, they were cut to the heart. They were pierced by what God's word had to say. What Stephen was saying to them and about them, it pierced their hearts. And people get angry when you present the gospel. And when you say you're not born again, and if you're not born again, you'll never make it to the kingdom of God. Who are you to say I'm not going to heaven? Not me. The Bible says it right here. Unless one is born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. Jesus said that. Not me. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. You got a problem with it, take it up with Jesus. The people were upset because Stephen told them the truth of the word of God. This is what you guys did. You, because of your unbelief and your rejection of God, ultimately murdered Jesus Christ. Nailed him to a cross. Stephen's sermon showed the people's unbelief. It says, and then they gnashed on him with their teeth. This anger of these people who were listening to Stephen speak to him, this wasn't a lightweight anger. They they were just upset. It was a strong rage against Stephen. Gnashed at him with their teeth, it simply expresses their great rage. Stephen's sermon really angered and upset these people. Verses 55 through 56. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, that is Stephen... But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice. Uh, then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Just before Stephen was stoned, he has this vision of the glory of God and Jesus Christ. God was preparing Stephen for death. Verse 55 says he was, be, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven. Unless his persecutors, unless those that were listening, unless those that were getting ready to murder him repented, they would never have a vision of heaven like this. The wicked world may kill us, but they can never take heaven away from us. It says he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He says to them, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man, Jesus Christ, standing at the right hand of God. Stephen saw Jesus standing in a in in a place of honor. The right hand was a place of honor. And he told the mob, this angry mob. He told them what he saw so that that that, so that they would know that the Christ that they had murdered. Was being honored in heaven by the father. Let's look at 57 through 59 again. <clears throat> then they, those that he was talking to, that Peter was, that Stephen was talking to, then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their, their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The enemies of the gospel often become violent when they don't have any substance 
to support their position. In other words, when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody, a lot of times they start getting angry. And they start just getting very upset with you or whoever the person is that, that's, that's speaking to them about Jesus Christ. And the thing is, they're telling them about the love of Christ. How Jesus died on a cross for them. And how we're all sinners. And if, if we don't have Christ, you know, we're, we're not going to make it to heaven. And without Christ, the only place you're going to end up is in hell. And, and, and they don't like it. And I, I, don't play, I, don't, I didn't like to hear I didn't like hearing it when they told me. But it was just, they were just telling the truth of God's word. But you see, people don't like the truth. Especially when it doesn't fit what they want to do. And so he was telling that this mob here that, that, again, about the love of Christ and how he came and, and he gave them this whole, from verses, you know, again, the, verse 2 to 59 here, he's, he's, he shared the history of the people and how they rejected him. But they got violent. When, again, when you don't have anything uh, to support what your, your side of the story, they get angry. And it says, look in verse 57, it says, they cried out with a loud voice. They got louder. They cried out. They yelled. Now, yelling louder doesn't, doesn't make up for your lack of substance. Yelling louder does not give you am, any ammunition to, approve, to, to, to you know, support your position. And then it says, notice, they stopped their ears. I don't want to hear you. And that's what people do. They don't want to hear. They yell, they get angry, they stop their ears. When people don't want to hear the truth, they often stop the speaker if they can. And if they can't stop him, they'll stop their ears. Don't want to hear it. And then look what it says in verse 57. It says, they ran at Stephen with one accord. They ran at him. Why are they running at him? He ain't going anywhere. He wasn't running away. They didn't have to run after Stephen. But it says, in unity, they ran after Stephen. Now, a lot of times, unity doesn't sanction sin. Just because people are united in something doesn't mean it's right. Now, when Noah was warning the people about judgment coming, and he built the ark, and he says, God's judgment was coming, and your only, your only way of, of survival is to get on the ark. It's God's salvation. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. Almost two million people were estimated to be on the earth at the time of Noah. And out of those two million people, only eight were saved. See, numbers don't mean you're right. And because this world believes a lot of things are right that are unbiblical, that are wrong, that are ungodly, doesn't mean they're right. Only eight people were saved out of two million. And the Bible says only a remnant are going to be saved when Jesus Christ returns. Numbers, popularity, does not mean that the people are right. They cried out. They stopped their ears. They ran at Stephen in one accord, says. They were all united in what they were saying and what they were doing and what they were believing, and they were still wrong. And that's the way it is in the world today. 
They didn't need to run. Their, 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 their unity in, in what they thought and what they said, it, it didn't mean anything other than they were wrong. You know, a lot of people may vote for abortion, but that doesn't mean that that's, that behavior is right. God says it's wrong. And then in verse 58, it says, they cast him out of the city. And if you live for God, you will often be a cast out or a cast off. You won't be popular. You won't be accepted. You'll be rejected and avoided. And 59, verse 59 says, they stoned Stephen. Stephen. It was the Jews' way of capital punishment in that day. The people basically lost control of themselves. They lost control of themselves. And they murdered Stephen. For what? For sharing the word of God. And we see that the enemies of the word of God, many times they're not very nice. They're not law-abiding people. In verse 58, it says, The witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young, name, a young man named Saul. There, there was Saul standing, Hey, I'll hold your coat while you're throwing the rocks. Come on, hand me your coats and your luggage or whatever you got. Go and go for it. This is the first time Saul is mentioned who later becomes the Apostle Paul. Paul supported this stoning. At first, Saul was a great persecutor of the church before he became the greatest missionary of the church. Verse 60. Then he, that is Stephen, then Stephen knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's behavior during the stoning was amazing. It says he knelt down, he bowed down to pray, and even in this trial, he's faithful to honor God. Probably the worst time of his life. Notice he bowed down. And he honored God. He didn't complain to God. He didn't blame God for what was happening to him. He accepted it because he knew God was in charge. He even prayed for them. He says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. He showed a wonderful spirit of grace in this prayer, reflecting Jesus' prayer on the cross when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So you go back to chapter 6, it says Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit control, controls their life, they will act like Jesus, they will talk like Jesus, they will live like Jesus. In closing, what happened here to Stephen reminds us that the world is always rejecting the best and most helpful people. A Christless people will show this in every area of their life. We see it in politics, where the good are voted out and the evil are voted in. We see it in marriage, where the good is rejected and evil is embraced. We see it in churches, where the good leaders are run off while the bad ones are supported. We see it in society, where Stephen is persecuted to death, while the evil Sanhedrin, these religious leaders, are favored. Wanting Stephen to be stoned to death is a great condemnation of the people because they murdered the best that was among them. And then it says he fell asleep. Now this doesn't refer to, th th this refers to the body and not the soul. The description of Stephen's death reminds us that for the believer, death is not a horrible thing. 
But for those without Jesus Christ, they should, they should be shaken in their boots when it comes to death because it will be hell for them. In verse 54, it says here, notice, they gnashed at Stephen with their teeth. Jesus said in Mark 13, 41 and 42, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. Notice, and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus. This is, this, this is, these are his words. That they will be cast into the furnace of fire, hell. He says, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine grinding your teeth for all eternity? Try doing it for five minutes as hard as you can. Don't do it because I don't want you sending me a dental bill. (laughs) But can you imagine grinding your teeth just for five minutes as hard as you can? But Jesus said here, they'll be doing it for all eternity. Not to mention the other torments of hell. But for believers in Jesus Christ, death will be, will be having our soul escorted into the most glorious place known ever. To a glorious place to be with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering. But it's up to each individual's choice. The same gospel, the same word of God that will save you will condemn you if you reject it. The choice is yours. Father, we come before you now to thank you for this this great chapter, Lord, and this, this wonderful man, this great man, Lord. But again, his greatness wasn't in himself. His greatness was because of Christ in him. And Father, if there's anything great in us, it's not because of who we are, but because of who you are. All that's good in me is Jesus. And all that's bad in me is me. Because there's nothing bad in Christ. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning or if there's anybody watching, that the Holy Spirit has spoken to, And has cut to the heart. That rather than reacting as these religious leaders did. That they would surrender to the spirit of God. And know that they need Christ. Before we take communion. I want to give you the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because again, if we're not born again, Paul exhorts us here, the Bible tells us to not take of communion. So if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to repeat this. I'm going to say this prayer out loud and you repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. Dear Jesus, please forgive me, Lord. I confess to you, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of all of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me now to follow you all the days of my life. And thank you, Lord, for dying for me, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.